1: Hey everybody! Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and special guest host Constantine Limbarakis here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Hey, Constantine, how you doing today? Doing great. It's Friday, start of the weekend. It is, and we've got a big weekend planned. Some fun stuff, some work stuff. But hey, the best part of it is we've got a great conversation teed up here today. And as you know. We're going to be talking with a business leader doing big things out in industry, especially when it comes to providing frictionless, I love that word, frictionless experiences for brands and their customers around the world. Should be a great discussion, Constantine. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. And to our listeners out there, if you hear me refer to Dino, that is my dear friend Constantine's nickname. So call him Constantine, call him Dino, any other... Just call him, right? Just reach out and, and connect with him. Is that right, Constantine? Yeah. Always open for a conversation. Always open for a conversation. All right. So we got a great one teed up here today. So with that said, I want to introduce our featured guest here today, Jim Brochu, General Manager, Supply Chain at Pivotry. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Scott. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. We enjoyed our pre-show conversation. And Constantine, we learned a couple of things about Jim, didn't we?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> in fact, if you want to mess with Jim, that's definitely I learned.
1: <laughs> I think that was like a Jim Croce song back in the day. Don't but don't mess with Jim, bro shoot. And we'll tell you why. We learned in a pre-show that when Jim's not doing big things, moving those mountains that we talked about out in global supply chain and beyond, in that little bit of free time he's got, he is all about Brazilian jiu-jitsu and has been for years. Hey, Jim, tell us more about that.
0: Yeah, Scott. So I started training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu 15, 16 years ago. And as is the case with a lot of young men's decisions, it was kind of driven by a girl. I was at the gym with a family member of the girl that I was dating. He said, Hey, why don't we try this? I went into a small class in a Gold's gym in a back room with some mats and started training. And almost immediately I was hooked. I realized very quickly that it was pretty much high level problem solving, but it's Dire physical consequences, right? So you can't think about anything else. Absolutely fell in love with it. And I've been on a journey for the last 14, 15 years. Got my black belt four years ago. I've competed at high levels around the world, tournaments in Vegas, paid tournaments in in Atlanta and other places. And I've been lucky enough to to train with some of the best guys in the world. And I'm good enough to know that I'm not very good compared to a lot of the best guys in the world. They're just a different animal.
1: Uh, Jim, I don't know. And Constantine. When I hear all that laid out, man, a lot of that's got to make some of these global supply chain problems look a lot easier when you can threaten jujitsu, right? Constantine, your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, well, it's the discipline of
2: seeing something through and figuring out a strategy that you were kind of hinting at, Jim, that it's physical. I mean, we're talking Maslow's hierarchy of needs here. <laughs> you want to break a finger, break your nose. It's That's intense. And I can't think of It's probably a way for you to also stay calm and figure, do problem-solving thinking through what's the worst outcome, what's the best outcome with what you do. So that's something Mm -hmm. to applaud. And it's really cool that you Mm -hmm. know how to do that and do that today.
1: Well said. Mm -hmm. All kinds of transfer are there between Brazilian jiu-jitsu and global supply chain management and leadership. And I bet my hunch is maybe Jim's team might hear about some of those, those transfer and applications from time to time. Speaking of, let's switch over and talk about the reason we're here. So, Jim, we're going to dive into your thought leadership and expertise here today. And I want to start with level setting a little bit with a couple of questions. So, you've been in the global supply chain industry for quite some time. When you think back of your journey, what is one role that really shaped your worldview, Jim? Yeah, it's a fantastic question.
0: I started early on in my career more focused on kind of the technical supply, uh, technical side of the supply chain. So implementing solutions for major packaged applications like order management and others. And I, I can think back to one, one point in my career when I was an enterprise architect working with a major uh, American retail company. And they brought us in and said, hey, we're trying to do this project and we're really struggling. We're three years in and we're nowhere near live. We don't understand why. And it's really we're trying to implement this packaged application. And to draw back to the, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu side of the house... I took a step back, we took a step back with their C-level executives and said, hey, what's going on? What are you trying to accomplish? And we realized they were trying to force fit a solution rather than stepping back and look at the problem. In this case, they were a multi-branded retailer that had grown through acquisition. They had 18, 19 different brands with all different business processes. Rather than starting from the process and starting from the ground up, they were just saying, how do we insert this into a system? And that was one of the more transformative moments of my career. When I realized, hey, I'm gonna solve the problem the same way with the same system, but we're gonna take a step back and think a little bit more strategically about how we're gonna structure your business and your capabilities. And then we're gonna put it over in a way that's repeatable and actually supports your entire business. That was really a pivotal moment for me. And I would say it's when I went more into strategic thinking and leadership roles as a
1: supply chain person. Jen, I'm so glad we started there with this conversation. That is a very helpful level setting perspective. And Constantine, bringing you in here, I think. In this world of rapid change and rapidly moving faster and faster change, I think folks are really quick to hit those knee-jerk solutions. And sometimes all of us are probably guilty of not calling time out and kind of backing up and looking at the whole ecosystem or the system's view and really trying to identify, okay, what are we trying to do here? So, Constantine, what did Jim's answer there ring true in your ears? I think it shows
2: the challenge often where the the concern of time And this anxiety of trying to get things done quickly in lieu of trying to actually do it the right way in a Mm -hmm. rapid way and doing it and and not having, knowing the balance there. And I've seen this before when I was a consultant back in the day doing ERP implementations and P2P implementations with the likes of things like Ariba. That often happens, right? And so it depends on who's the owner, who's the owner. What's the team look like? How collaborative are you? So you know that you know when you should pull back rather than just moving forward and saying, oh yeah, we're going to get this done by this date and not thinking of the consequences of designing a system that Mm. isn't adequate or is going to be inadequate in the next few years because you decided to take a shortcut.
1: Mm. Well said, Dino. Good stuff there. Okay. I love reminiscing a little bit when we have these global supply chain conversations. Let's do this, Jim. Before we move forward and talk about industry and get a lot of your insights and expertise on on where we've been, where we are, and where we're headed. Tell us, we we mentioned you're with the Pivotry organization. In a nutshell, what does Pivotry do? So Pivotry is a a global provider of frictionless commerce solutions. Frictionless
0: commerce is a new concept that we're trying to to bring out into the market. When we say frictionless, really what we mean is, is a little bit of what I just talked about, right? It's quantifying and understand what problems we should be trying to solve and then bringing to bear the right solutions, the right technology, and the right experts to solve that. In some cases, it's us building giant technology platforms that, that solve a problem better than others do. In other, in other areas, it's really us teaching and, and working alongside companies to listen to their business, what's actually happening with their business, and then to change that more strategically wherever that needs to happen. And the thing with frictionless is it's hard to describe in one sentence, but frictionless commerce is you kind of know it when you see it, right? When you have a good buying experience, like Amazon really moved the frictionless needle forward by making buying delivery easier, faster, better. Those are the types of things. When we say frictionless, that's really what we mean as big leaps forward in, in consumer experience and supply chain capability.
1: Love it. I love, first off, as I mentioned, Jim and Constantine in the opening, I love the word frictionless. And I love with that little phrase you just dropped there, Jim, easier, faster, better. It reminds me of a 70s sitcom or, or 70s show, but Constantine, quick comment here before we move on into chatting with Jim.
2: Well, you, six, $6 million, man. Is that I think that mean? was it. I think <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I don't know if that was a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, yeah, just overall, I mean, this is a term that I, I've been hearing more of it's a fantastic one because it can resonate with understanding just make it easy for me and i just want to know that it's robust and that it works right and like you said jim the amazon model has definitely proven that and, and scalability right and that's the other key thing is not not just for a few things but making it broad mm-hmm. and making it easy and that helps the resilience too so yeah i think that's a great approach and what i'm hearing
1: well said. And in hindsight, I guess The Six Million Dollar Man was not a sitcom, but Lee Majors was in The Fall Guy, and that was my jam. I had that Fall Guy lunchbox back in the day. We'll save that TV reminiscent for a later show. Jim, moving ahead, now that we kind of really level-setted on a, a couple different layers when it comes to Jim Brochu, I want to get into you know, getting your perspective on what we're seeing. So talk to, when you hear a question about the current state of the global supply chain industry, what are some observations that comes to your mind, Jim?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fantastic question, Scott, and it's one that people are constantly asking, and the answer changes, right? It changes. What I would have answered six months or a year ago is not the answer that I'm giving uh, to that same question right now What's the current state of the global supply chain. Essentially, over the last three, four years, we've seen unprecedented challenges in supply chain that was driven by COVID-19, you know, the pandemic disruptions, the death of in-store retail, and then the resurrection of in-store retail, right? trade tensions. We saw a lot of natural disasters. Some guys put a big boat sideways in a canal and that seemed to bring the entire world to a screeching halt for a little while, right? But what that really did is it highlighted the the vulnerabilities and the complexity of the worldwide supply chain. And it set the the industry on fire with how do we stabilize what's going on? How do we react to these critical uh, things that are happening? And I would say overall, while it took longer than we'd like, people have really gone through that shift of stabilization. They have their feedback under them. They understand how to work within the new global supply chain. But now they're really back to asking the questions they were asking before, which is, okay, the paradigm is different now. How do we actually continue to innovate and improve in this new paradigm? And that's where I think we're seeing a lot of the trend right now is we transition from that stabilization effort, that sprint, into the the more marathon-type constant improvement of supply chains and technology and capabilities, and people are getting really frustrated. I would say that's the overarching word that I'm seeing. They're paying really steep tolls and penalties based on their current business processes, their infrastructure. In a lot of cases, they have a lot of technology debt that they're just unable to get out from under, and that means that they're not able to be agile. Very, very often, they're saying, Hey, our business model can't be static anymore. But for these reasons, it's very, very static. And I'm trying a lot of them are saying, How do we get out of this? And they're frustrated and they're struggling with it. And I would say that's the state of supply chain. A lot of great ideas that are just kind of stuck hitting up against the wall of frustration and lack
1: of agility, right? So, Jim, I'm going to follow up with you on that frustration. And I'm about to, you know, bet you could get you to weigh in here. But I want to go back to something that Jim shared about the death and resurrection of in-store retail. You know, noted industry analyst, LL Cool James, commented on that, don't call it a comeback. We've been here for years, just in case y'all missed that about the in-store retail uh, life cycle there. Thank you, Dino. I, I think you got my my reference there. Dino, yeah. speak to as uh, Jim painted that picture. So what, what'd you hear there? What's one important thing for folks not to miss there? I think what you're intimating
2: there, Jim, is the, the point of the infrastructure's it's seen its limit in this age that we're in now facing where supply chain is an everyday term. It's not just something people have done in behind the scenes or are just thinking about casually. Right. And I think where the, uh, the evolution of technology and the power of the computing combined with the amount of data that's being pushed and pulled and, and created is now forcing organizations to try to, I think to your point, think how to do things better. And that's part of where that frustration is. Maybe we feel like we're always one step behind and we're not optimizing the data that we have. And you might be doing that with legacy systems where, of course, you've invested in an SAP or an Oracle or some older system. And you always thought that was going to be transformative. And it was always just kind of the ongoing upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. And now it's maybe that's not the way we should be doing things. Maybe we need to think about IT differently in kind of what you guys are doing. And I want to hear more is this combination of services and technologies and putting those together that's optimal for what mm. companies are trying to do, not just, oh, you always have to upgrade to your next version of SAP and that's going to solve your problem. You're like, no, that, that, that's not doing it anymore in this day and age. And I think mm. that's part of that frustration that you're talking
1: about. Well, that's where I want to pick back up on, Dino. You're reading my mind. Is this frustration. It's frustration in boardrooms. There's frustration on teams. There's a lot of pressure on our people. Well, maybe it all rolls up into organizational or even industry frustration. So, Jim, how has all of this frustration and pressure impacted supply chain operations? It's a great question, Scott and Constantine. I think you're hitting the nail on
0: on the head with this one, where companies are focused on resiliency and and agility. Um, What I'm seeing is companies are taking more and more honed approaches and strategies. They're drilling down into... Specific business problems, and they're trying to solve those specific business problems. When we look at supply chain, Constantine, you mentioned a bunch of great systems, and they were great in 2000, 2010. But what they are is giant monolithic solutions where if I want to improve operations that lives and is owned by one of those, ERP, for instance, let's say I have a receiving problem in my business. I'm not as efficient as I'd like, I can't get the people in the door to, to do the work, et cetera. Generally speaking, I either have to upgrade to a newer version that has better capabilities, or I need to go out, find a new system that does everything that system did and does that small thing better from a technology perspective. I think businesses have started to think a little bit more composable and, and modular about their business. And what that means is, how can I solve my, in this example, my receiving problem? while not having to rip and replace my entire end-to-end mm-hmm. business process, to rip and replace my entire end-to-end IT platform. Um, and that's really driving different strategies, how companies run their projects, their improvement projects. they move moved forward uh, constant improvement, constant development. And the criteria that they're looking for in their solution providers is different. right? It's someone who can come in and help them with their receiving problem, not sell them an ERP end-to-end giant monolithic solution. Right? So I think that's the, the primary shift, and we're seeing it uh, kind of fall all the way down into the technology, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But the technology itself is becoming more and more composable, more and more focused on discrete mm. business problems,
1: and that's a really interesting place for for the supply chain operations to improve. It's, it sure is. All this is an interesting time to be in global supply chain. I want to keep driving with Jim, and then Dean, I'm going to get you to weigh in. Because I, I want to, Jim, you've touched on, a couple of small challenges, grand challenges, certainly some of the key challenges. But what else? When you think about the key challenges here in 2023 faced by supply chain managers, what else comes to mind?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're, the challenges they're facing are the day-to-day issues of doing their job, right? It's They're seeing increased demand volatility now, right? If you can see for a consumer brand, for instance, you can see a tweet from an influencer spike your order volume by 10x what you would see during a peak for just one item, right? So they're dealing with demand volatility, they're dealing with the supply disruptions, not being able to get things internationally, having to look more more locally, look at how they're how they're able to leverage their more local stock as well, right? Store inventories now being looked at differently, all those things are, are much different than they were before. And I think one of the the biggest challenges that that a lot of supply chain managers have is they don't really have the visibility across their entire supply chain to make the decisions and see the problems where they lie and fix. them. So what we're seeing is really when they try to address these issues, it's those rigid infrastructures that they're dealing with where they have to deal in a data silo or a functional silo. They know what their business problems are. They're struggling with it day in and day out. And they have great ideas that can save money, miles, and labor, right? And that, those are the big three that a lot of our customers are talking about right now. They know what they want to do about it. They just can't pull the trigger because either they can't get the, the projects through, they can't justify and provide visibility to their executives as to exactly why they want to do it. And frankly, I think they're struggling with a jaded set of executives who have seen a number of projects and, and uh, operations improvements projects go through without a really clearly defined ROI, with, with no clear boundaries. Going back to that earlier discussion, Constantine started a little bit. When you have these giant monolithic projects, giant monolithic uh, solutions, it's really hard to judge, is our receiving better? Is this better? Because it's all buried in the context of these giant transformative projects. No question, they, they do drive value, but I think executives are starting to ask the questions differently, and that's trickling down to these supply chain managers. The good ideas, we just can't get through the door for their improvement their, the projects. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, it makes sense. Uh, I really wish we had a whiteboard in the background to map out everything you shared so far in the front of this interview. Dino, I bet you're chomping at the bit uh, to weigh in on what Jim laid out there.
2: Uh, It just resonates with what I'm hearing too, and it's fantastic that you guys are taking this approach, Jim, with looking at, again, different ways and understanding. You're always going to have your core necessities, you're going to have your core needs, your infrastructure that's there, but trying to find different ways of of augmenting that and making that all work in an agile way uh, to provide, like you were saying, that better flexibility and better visibility. Because invariably in every conversation in supply chain we're hearing is that. I want flexibility and visibility, and I want to be resilient. How are you going to do that with what you have? You can't completely do a control-alt-delete, but you, you need to augment what you have and do that in, in a creative way that's going to help you be one step ahead of your competition. Because that's also the, the big thing is the time frames are now shorter. The reaction time is even more ever-present, where in a disruption, are you going to take advantage of that one supplier that only provides that versus the other guy who didn't have that visibility in his tools or her tools. That kind of thing is where we're at. And I think that if you don't have that ability, then you're that could have a compromise on your business and in your future, right? How right. well, resilient is your business
1: because mm. you won't have it. Well said, Dino. And I want to back up as, as we continue this conversation with Jim. You're talking about visibility. And Greg White and I, in numerous conversations this year, have argued that Visibility by itself isn't enough. We need visibility and answers and solutions. And and a lot of companies have gained that visibility. But Jim, to your point, the majority of the industry don't have visibility across tiers, across their supply chain ecosystem. They're still fighting to get that, to your point, Jim. So let's keep driving here. So Jim, in your perspective, your expertise, how can supply chain operations be transformed to adapt to a new status quo? Uh it,
0: it's a great question. And I'll, I'll use a little bit of uh Constantine's answer uh there there a second ago to answer That's right? a nice it, tip
1: of the hat to old Constantine, Jim. Yeah. Very
0: nice. Hey, how about that? Well you asked a great question, which is <laughs> how how resilient is your business, right? As an example of the question that, that the companies need to be thinking about. In in our opinion, at at Pivotry and, and with frictionless commerce, that's an answerable question, right? Because you know what the problems are, you can look at it and say, hey how resilient is your business actually? And how can we frame that question and those types of questions for executives so that they become actionable? Now, to to frame those questions, to understand them, we have this concept we're looking at of potentially using a a friction index, right? And saying, hey, on a scale of one to 10, you have high friction in your operational resilience. You have a a, a low friction index in your e-commerce user experience, right? And being able to score where your business is But to get to a meaningful place where that's actionable, really, we need access to the data and the underlying data. And people talk about access to data a lot. Scott, there are solutions out there that that mine data, pull these giant data pools together. But frankly, I think the, the number is something insane, like 328 million terabytes of data are being created daily right now. So yeah, companies have data. They're drowning in data. What they're missing is the insights and the framework to actually measure it and do something about it, and that's where we're really focused: is how do we get the data to drive the activities and the projects that companies take on? How do we measure the success of the, those projects? And just as importantly, how do we bring the tools that are most likely to move the needle as quickly as possible for those companies? And that's really where I think the the transformation needs to happen. It's not getting data. It's not getting better at individual operations, it's connecting the two and being able to actually say, the data is leading us here, let's solve that problem. Then what's the data telling us next? And what's the data yes. telling us next and actually operating on that model? So it's actually a paradigm shift when I think of it's new. Mm-hmm.
1: Jim, well said, and Dino, I'll get you a comment here. To take Jim's point a step further, having the data and doing something about it, but making sure and knowing and being confident that you're doing the right thing about it, right? That's kind of the next step. Weigh in on what you heard there about uh, the opportunity. Yeah, I like what you said there, Jim. We've got the operations down. We've got all the
2: data in the world and we're creating exponentially mounds and mounds of data. And I think where we're seeing this now, where the rubber's hitting the road, is using emerging technologies and innovation on top of that to better understand what those trends are, like from a human capacity. And because of the power of the computing, You've got things like, dare I say, AI, which everyone's talking (laughs) about, but understanding it in the context of why that's important, not just to say, I always love how they have these anthropomorphize. I think that's the word. I think that's the word. AI, AI, right? Every every AI thing in a picture is always some robot. Looks like a human. It's like, why does it have to be a human? It's about taking the information and pushing that through all that data you talked about, Jim, and then making some intelligence from that to say, I see something here. And now we know how to do it better. And whether it's one technology or different technologies that are working together, that's really what we need as practitioners now, I think, in the future that's going to guide us. Business processes, supply chains have been documented, and process flows have been out there for years. But what can you do with this now that we just couldn't do before?
1: Yes. Dino, you're reading my mind. You're reading my mind with that question because that's the good news here, Jim, right? The good news is opportunities abound. To, to do what Dino said, to do things better. So, Jim, what talk about some of those opportunities that do exist for companies to truly optimize their supply chain operations?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are a couple of main tenets that we've touched on already that I'll dive a little bit deeper on, Scott. One is really having the operational agility. And when we look at that, let's let's take an example, right? If your company has kind of reached the limit of how much you can optimize your fulfillment for profitability with your current processes and your current systems stack and you're on an ERP, for example, you may want to consider moving to a more robust platform that picks up pieces of those features, functions, and capabilities for you and manages the operations more tightly, gives you more levers to pull. And and that's really where where I like to focus with my clients, giving them robust levers to pull that aren't just, hey, we're moving you to this new static business model. It's, you know, hey, I want to optimize today to, reduce my markdowns in my retail stores. Tomorrow, I have a, a shipping and logistics cost problem. So I want to optimize for fewest miles driven on this on the cheapest carrier, right? So it's being able to pull those levers more aggressively. And, and that starts with removing a lot of the debt, the technical operational debt, the operational debt and the technical debt that companies are, are struggling with. I think that's a big part of it. But even with those levers to pull, going back to to the earlier discussion, You need to know when to pull them, why to pull them, and how to know if if they're working. I was actually on a panel discussion, which was just a bunch of supply chain geeks earlier today, about three hours ago. (laughs) And one of the anecdotes, it's not my anecdote, but I'll tell it anyways, was this guy was working for, for Walmart and they really wanted to focus on how do they leverage the safety stock better and how do they use safety stock? They had a fancy order management system that could leverage safety stock and make better allocation decisions. But here's the thing, they have millions of SKUs across thousands of stores. So just to get that right at that granular level, there's hundreds of millions of data points to consider just to set the setting in the system that can be the lever and pull that lever correctly, right? And going back to AI and machine learning, this is a place where you can really start to apply some of those concepts. It's really hard for Constantine, Scott, and Jim to run through an Excel sheet and derive meaningful location-based data Derive the right algorithms quickly and do all of that. But if you can feed that discrete goal and that discrete set of um, data points, even though it's a large data set, into AI, you can really start to combine the, the data and the levers differently in, in, a, in a unique way. And, Constantine, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of wrap up on this topic on this, right? I think people might be thinking a little too broadly about their use and application of AI and ML, right? When you say, how could I use AI to improve my safety factor? At the regional level, that's really actionable. You can get that done quickly. You can train a data model. You can do it. Whereas people are asking the question, how can AI help me ship for less money? Or how can, you know, like those broad existential questions, I just don't think the technology is there yet. And that's where we need people who understand the data, experts like you, Constantine, that understand how to apply the data, understand the use cases and where those are likely to head, and then use the tools at our disposal to, to drive those operational platforms differently.
1: Okay. So Dina, quick, quick response for the sake of time. Respond to what Jim just shared there.
2: Yeah. I, I love how you put you phrase that because it goes back to specific problems that you're trying to solve. And in the end, what's key here is that you still need to understand the, the tenants of the business because whatever you plug in to these models and expect outcomes for a prediction or a prescription or however you're doing, you still need to understand what you think is going to be the, the most important factors to that business, right? It's not, this thing's not going to solve it for you. You still have to use the different models that are there to basically understand what it is that we're trying mm. to achieve. If, if Maybe this is for the forecasting models that you're putting together. Maybe this is just better intelligence that you're trying to get about what you have with your different stores. If there's one factor here and one factor here is a relationship, is there a correlation? Okay, let's test that with the data we have and then find out what happens. And then use that going forward as the way we want to pull that data from those data lakes and data sources to say, yeah, this is working for us. And we mm-hmm. found X improvement in our bottom line because, or we didn't have this excess inventory that we had to throw away or whatever that, that was because of the model that we applied. And that's not an easy task, even with the technology, because you have to sometimes guess right, right? Ah. <laughs>
1: A couple of quick things there, Jim, going back to the anecdote you shared. Hey, share and share alike. We know how that works, right? Imitation is the purest form of flattery, right? So we share, share, share alike. And then the second thing, Constantine, on, on your earlier response, you know, one of the best commercials during the pandemic, right? We we're all watching lots and lots of TV. I think it was an insurance commercial. And going back, Dino, to your comment about how all AI is built like humans, well, there's a great coffee shop uh, scene where the robot has gotten his coffee or her coffee or you name it. And they have written on the coffee cup, Rob Ott. And it really made the guy, made the robot mad. And if you can picture the scene, he's using his laser vision to, <laughs> to tear into the coffee shop. That is such a great. Now, the lesson be learned there, Jim and Dino, is, hey, don't get AIs and the bots' names Wrong, on those <laughs> cups of coffee, right? 20, who knows, 20, 30 problems uh, to come. Who knows? But speaking, Jim and Dino, what you both just uh, touched on quite a bit in your last couple of responses, really a lot of the conversation thus far is that role of technology, wh- whether they're angry, coffee-drinking robots, or a lot of other technologies y'all mentioned. Jim, uh, give us your uh, perspective on the role that technology plays in truly shaping the future of where we're headed with supply chain management? Yeah,
0: I mean, it's a fantastic question and and, an area that I spend a lot of time thinking about. I think ultimately technology is the critical factor in connecting all the data. We talk about the massive amounts of data, the decision-making capability of your people, and most companies nowadays have some really, really brilliant people making decisions and then actually getting them down to the ground for their operational folks, the the primary role of technology right now for me is composing all of that together into meaningful end-to-end use cases. And just as importantly, it's accelerating. It's doing it very, very quickly. It's taking a, a transaction that comes in an order from a customer, uh, you know, as an example. And it's identifying all the things that need to happen throughout your supply chain really, really quickly in seconds or minutes. Whereas before, you know, we had the luxury, you know, I'll, I'll call Uh, legacy supply chain was luxurious, right? You had weeks of lead time. You had the ability to plan months and quarters ahead. Now companies are thinking in terms of weeks and days. And frankly, without technology, it's just not possible. People Mm. can't do the volume of work, the volume of decision-making and data crunching that needs to happen to do that. And that's part of why we're seeing a shift in how companies view technology as well toward this concept of composability. I mean, our pre-show run-up, Constantine talked a little bit about composability and what it means. Really, it's understanding the point problems and being able to point technology and other solutions at it quickly in where it needs to be and have everything still continue to work. So it's really that concept of taking the the data, the decision making, and putting it where it needs to be really, really quick. So,
1: yeah. So, uh, Dino, quick comment on Jim's response there.
2: Well, I, I think it's also the models that technology and service providers are offering technologists and IT people are supporting this to be able to do what they want to do, right? So keep creating the flexibility um, with these models to say, look, if you use this for a certain period of time where we can plug it in, it's not like I have the old CD where, you remember you plug in and you install and that's all gone. How do, right. how do we create it so that it makes sense for the business? And if you have to pivot, you can't. And I'm just thinking of the Friends episode with Ross, and he has to pivot the couch because i moving. And I was just thinking of that this morning because we were joking about a workout that I was doing. But that's the pivot, right? You got to pivot, and you got to be able to do it quickly. Because because the only thing that we always learn is y- you got to go forward. You got to be aggressive. You got to do make a decision. And if you make a mistake, you got to be able to adjust. And yes. be able to do that with models that allow you to do that and not be stuck because you have to do it a certain way than we always do
1: Yes, and I would add to that, Dino, and, and hey, I love the friends uh, mention. As Jim a- asked earlier, or Jim mentioned earlier something about the fixes you put in, the solutions you put in, and then knowing if they're working. That is so critical. So you can pivot effectively, Dino, and what all that you've invested is giving you the return you need on a variety of levels, and not, not just financially, but also I was talking to a chief supply chain officer, a friend of mine the other day, and I, I can't remember exactly how he put it. Just kind of like you mentioned a friction index, Jim, he talked about a, like an emotional index, like there were return on bandwidth, return on the elbow grease. That's a very real palpable thing in, in an enterprise. Okay. So I want to keep driving here, Jim. Let's talk about, in your view, how can companies continue to effectively mitigate old risk, new risk, you name it, supply chain risk, and really, truly, and practically with outcomes in mind, build resilience in their operations.
0: Yeah, I would say there are two key areas that I would focus if I were going into any company blind, right? I'll say companies have different problems. You get in, you really have to ask a lot of questions and understand what's going on. That's why I think the first tenet, the first area of focus for me is always going to be getting visibility. And when I say visibility, I mean actionable visibility. Can you really see what's going on in your business and how quickly can you see it, right? It's great to have an operational model and reporting for your company, I can't stress how often I go into a billion-dollar company, a $500 million company, and they're running off of reports from the day before, making decisions about what they're going to do today, right? They don't have decision-making capability at their fingertips. That's the one that I would start on, right? Just get visibility end-to-end across your business. There are a lot of really fantastic solutions out there that let you do that at all levels, right? Give your executives the view of the business, give your operational folks the view of The business but more importantly the slice that they're in and understanding that very deeply and and doing their job better that's one number two really really focus on removing and preventing technical debt right oftentimes we think in terms of how can we get a better system in there i i think a a lot of the time by the time you're having that discussion you now have a mountain to climb you have to get over the technical debt that you're paying based on what you've already put in or the, the operational debt that you're paying and then you have to go do the project that you want to do. Whereas mm. if you start up front with a constant refrain of no technical debt, remove technical debt, maintain resiliency and agility in your operations and technology, then when you want to do something new, you can. And all you have to do is that new thing, right? If, if you're structured appropriately, thinking appropriately, then it's much easier to, to make those changes. So I would say those are the two. Visibility and removing technical debt. Proactively, not reactively.
1: Love that. And I bet, Constantine... Jim never sees spreadsheets in use as he goes out and visits teams across global supply chain. Dino, your quick response to that.
2: Well, the quick ability to shift is is important too, because I think the definition and I think the core of the question was around supply chain risk, right? And you're trying to understand what those risks are. Well, being able to understand the nuances of those, depending upon who's using your system, it could have a variety of answers. And so, what are we looking at trying to better improve our understanding of uh, improving quality? Are we trying to improve transaction speed? Are we trying to improve risk mitigation from suppliers because of disruption? Where are you drawing a line on that and then trying to understand what you need to bring in to be able, so you don't, like you said, not having that technical debt, but bringing something that's innovative that can help solve that problem. And then I think there was some talk about resilience- well, that's how you're going to measure your resiliency on top of it. The index, maybe those are all the things that you throw into there. But yes. I think that's an important way to, to take a look at how you understand that in, in the context of what Jim was talking about.
1: Dino, excellent point. And offer one more to that is we were on a webinar the other day, and one of the questions we got, Jim and uh, Constantine, was hey, how do you define resiliency, right? And, and a lot of folks are asking that question, the, I think one of the truths there, without defining it, is it can be different for in, for each organization, for each sector. It depends on how, going back to what Jim was talking about on the front end, how we define, what are we after? How we we in success? What's our objective here at the bigger picture level? And that will certainly have a big impact in terms of how we define resilience in our respective organization. I want to shift gears here. Man, Jim, I wish we had about three more hours uh, between you and Dino. Uh, really enjoying y'all's perspective. How can, let's talk about emerging trends, right? Because we all know where we've been and and Jim, you and Dino both have kind of talked about some of those things. We know where we are here today. We've talked about that, but let's talk about some of these emerging trends in supply chain management that businesses should be aware of if they aren't already. Jim?
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Gardner hype cycle. I think they get a lot of it, right? There's a lot of really fantastic things on there that I'm, I'm paying very close attention to. And I'm paying attention to it as levers that I can pull within that composable strategy that we've kind of been going back and forth about quite a bit. I would say some of the the, the heavy hitters, the, the, the things that are on everybody's mind, one, obviously AI and machine learning, but we've already touched on it today. But the chat GPT leap ahead was a real aha and oh crap moment for a lot of supply chain experts, right? They looked and said, what, is this? what does this mean? What are my competitors going to be able to do mm with this processing power, this raw horsepower against their decision-making and their capabilities. That's one for sure. One of the areas that's really interesting to me is robotics and automation. And I'm looking at some of the leading vendors that are out there doing some interesting things where they're not just providing automation and robotics, but they're concerned about the, the brain behind the robotics more than they are the robotics themselves, the robotics being the vehicle, right? And they're doing some interesting things. Like there's one company out there that's doing they're taking goods, goods-to-person robotics, which for those who aren't deep in supply chain and warehousing, it's those racks that get lifted up by a robot, move to the person mm-hmm. to pick stuff off, off, and then it gets put back. They had those robots for a while, but then they realized, hey, this is an opportunity for me to dynamically reorganize my warehouse based on the trends that are happening in real time. So they put a layer over the top of that and said, let's reorganize. And if I have high velocity SKUs today and I see that volume coming, the system automatically reorganizes the warehouse and puts those closer to the front because they know they're high velocity, they're going to move back and forth. That takes something that used to take manpower days and downtime in a warehouse to execute, reslotting your warehouse down to, it just happens, right? My warehouse just automatically, quickly reorganized based on the business need up to the minute, up to the moment. That's the second one, robotics, where it meets AI and this large computing power and. a the, the, the third one that I'm really paying close attention to is we've seen a, a trend of hyper-localization where brands, because of the, the global disruptions we mentioned earlier, have started to really look at how do I locate inventory closer to my customers and how do I leverage the entire network of inventory that I have available to meet the objective, the same day delivery, next day delivery, and those things, and be more resilient, right? A, a disruption in, in the China shipments shouldn't necessarily mean that my consumers are stuck without inventory without the ability to buy from us for an extended period of time. So they're moving more toward a network of networks or strategies that are kind of locally based but within a broader set of strategies. That's an area where I'm really, really focused as well. Mm-hmm. And then when you start combining all those, it gets really interesting, right?
1: <laughs> oh, it, absolutely. And, and that goes back to uh, a couple hours. If we could uh, sit down and extend our conversation uh, today a little longer to dive in a little deeper. To each of those three, because that's three of probably a list of uh, I don't know two thousand. I would imagine Dino and Jim. So for the sake of time, I want to keep driving here because I want to talk about uh, sustainability. We've touched on it a couple different times in the conversation, but Jim, let's tackle that more directly. How can sustainability, in your view, truly be inter- in, uh, integrated rather into supply chain operations?
0: Yeah, it's it's a fantastic question, Scott. So when we look at sustainability. And most of the fundamental principles of just optimizing your supply chain, they're kind of the same thing, right? How can I reduce the miles the trucks are driving? How can I reduce the empty air that I'm shipping and the distance that my products have to travel to end up where they need to go? How can I reduce effectively my carbon footprint? I think a big thing that companies would really benefit from doing, not to start sounding like a broken record here, is just getting visibility into how their operations are performing from an ESG and a sustainability perspective today, right? Understanding my trucks are driving this many miles, I'm storing this much inventory in this many warehouse locations, The manufacturing here versus there. What is my environmental impact? A lot of companies don't really have that baseline outside of an, an annual report that their two or three person sustainability team publishes. And it's great. It's an awesome start, but there's no reason that that can't be a real time view of what they're doing. And here's the thing, most successful supply chain projects are going to shorten the miles driven. They're going to reduce the number of trucks that you put out there and all of those things that are much more sustainable. So by focusing on improving their business, they're also going to be able to reap the benefits of sustainability and start talking about it more as, as, you know, due course and part of what they're trying, one of the objectives they're optimizing for all the time, as opposed to these discrete projects that great, they, they do awesome things. But if I plant a tree or if I carry seeds in my pocket and I just drop some seeds everywhere I go, It's a different thing, right? One ends up with a bunch of plants and trees everywhere. One, I feel good that I planted a tree, but I could be doing more without having to do a bunch of extra
1: work. Does that make sense? Mm, It does. And Dino, I'll get your take here. One of the things that I love that Jim uh, shared there, and I really hadn't thought of this until he just called it out, was the notion of an annual report. Man, that's a long time to wait to make any adjustments and uh, corrections or you name it. Dino, Speak to what he he touched on a variety of different things when it comes to sustainability. What'd you hear? I think you hit something that's really that really resonates where a lot
2: of times it, it the sustainability and the concept of the corporate social responsibility and companies feeling good about what they're doing. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect is now that if you're gonna get your hand slapped because you didn't meet a criteria or the ethical behavior of supply chain, that's another aspect from a regulatory, but I think the true thing where sustainability is going to become the the differentiator and competitive advantage is when you're figuring out ways to use sustainability to make yourself more innovative. And that, to me, is going to be the driver, right? It's going to be the way that could hit the bottom line. And you're saying, by me doing these things, it's not only going to make me feel good as a company, make my customers feel good about my brand, make the government or the regulatory body feel good that I'm doing these things, but it's also helping me as a business. Continue what I'm doing because in the end, that's what matters still. You still mm-hmm. have to be profitable to be able to be, and by definition, that's sustainable. How are you going to be sustainable in your business, not just sustainable in terms of these broader ESG terms that have become very important and also more popular, but we also have to have some way of doing that. So yes. that's the way I've seen it uh, and why it's so important to be realistic Yes, how it can be uh, applied directly to your business, not just something you're doing because someone told you you have to do it.
1: Excellent point. And uh, a twist on what you shared there, at least what I heard, Dino, is we make job one so that we can still take care of job two, job three, job four, you name it, and make more progress in those areas as well. And that's the great thing about sustainability. It is actually, it can make you far more profitable. It's not, it doesn't have to be a choice between profitability and sustainability. I mean, there are ways to or for the whole ecosystem and all the demands and, and pressures and priorities to truly win. Jim, before we... Man, we've had quite a full conversation here today. Really appreciate your time. We're and In just a second, we're going to make sure folks know how to connect with you and the Pivotry team that's on the move. But first, let's pull it all together here. And you've approached this next question a couple different ways, but I want to make sure that we just ask it forthright. So what can we do? How to get started? What strategies can companies employ to enhance that collaboration and that visibility, address pressures and their frustration, all that stuff we've talked about across their supply chain network?
0: Yeah, it's the number one thing that I, I would recommend any company do is make visibility and actionability of your data core to everything that you do. We talked about sustainability and building it into the DNA of what you're doing in supply chain. I would say even more important than that, or at least as important, I don't want to get in trouble, but at least as important with the sustainability police, but as important is getting visibility across your entire business. And when I say your business, I don't mean just the four walls of what you do, right? So one one thing I would, whatever you want to call it, real-time reporting, dashboarding, control towers. I think the Holy Grail is kind of digital twin in a broader sense, right? But if I were going to give one strategy to everyone, it's, build that visibility and data access into everything that you do from here on out. Are you doing a small project on your order management platform? One of the checkboxes on the design solution should be, how are we going to make this data accessible and actionable to the business leaders? You're doing a warehouse project as well. And if you're doing an extended program that involves your trading partners, drop shipping, working with your merchandisers, they should be asking that question as well. How do we get extended visibility, not just inside our network, but outside of it, uh, I think that is the biggest thing because until you have access to the data and, and can can understand it and do something with it, you're going to always be struggling and playing catch up and reacting to what happened, not what's about to happen.
1: Yes. Okay. Dino, i get you a respond. But one of the cool things I heard there, data accessibility, visibility, and actionability amongst other all the other abilities. Dino, your last comment there before we get close to signing off here with Dino, but uh, with Jim. Um,
2: I think that I just was really well put. I don't know how else to Im- improve on I'm that. Real fine on it. I just think it's it's a really smart thing, and it always should be an initiative you keep in mind when you're starting a new project, right? Because uh, it keeping it, making it as easy as possible to to make decisions, I think in the end is the way you want what you're getting at, and knowing yes. that I have all that information at my fingertips, because otherwise you're just creating more information that no one's accessing and using.
1: Yes. And question, I'm going to go back to a point we were talking about a minute ago, question all those annual reports. Really ask tough questions. Does this need to, how can we fix this? How can we have dynamic access and visibility and actionability to the information? Okay, Jim Brochu, I hate to call it a conversation. I really have enjoyed our pre-show and then, of course, all the good stuff we've dove into here today. But I want to make sure, Jim, you strike me as someone that. And please don't strike me with your jujitsu, Please, we'll save that for later. You you strike me as someone that enjoys talking shop. And I bet you would welcome any opportunity for any of our listeners that are fighting through some of these things to grab a cup of coffee and sit down and and talk shop. Is that right, Jim? Absolutely. It's one of my favorite things to do. As sad as that may be, I love talking supply chain. (laughs) Hey, it's not sad at all. You're in the right circle. You're in the right circle. So how can folks connect with you, Jim, and the team at Pivotry?
0: Yeah. So you can connect with me. I've got a LinkedIn, Jim Brochu on LinkedIn. My email is james.broshu, B-R-O-C-H-U, at pivotry.com. And if you just want to connect with Pivotry and learn more about what we're doing with frictionless commerce, pivotry.com, the back half of that, the back half of that email ID is right there. So and that's one, one T in Pivotry, by
1: the way, not two. <laughs> that's right. And let me just, for those that may be listening that has spelling skills as bad as mine, mm-hmm. I'm going to spell it out, P-I-V-O-T-R-E-E. Pivotry.com, and then we're going to make it even easier. We're going to include the links in the show notes, and y'all are one click away from connecting with the Pivotry team. I'll tell you what, uh, big thanks, Jim Brochu, General Manager of Supply Chain at Pivotry. Jim, we'll be reconnecting with you again really soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. All right, so before we take off here, Dino, man, this was a great conversation. And I'm not just saying it because I was a part of it. I really enjoyed Jim's thoughtful expertise Let's get your key takeaway. If you had to go back through our the whole hour or so that we've sat down here with Jim, do you know what is one thing that our if our listeners forget everything else, what's that one thing that they got to keep front and center from this conversation?
2: I think it was is try to reduce your technical debt and be as flexible and agile as possible with making decisions. I mean, I like the way you were saying that before Jim. It's a great way to think of it. don't get let the, don't let the legacy stuff impede you from moving forward.
1: Yes. Well said. All right. Really appreciate you joining us, uh, Constantine Limbarakis. What a great, great conversation. Of course, again, big thanks to uh, Jim Brochu over at Pivotry and to our audience. Hey, here's a challenge. You take something we talked about here today, all the expertise, truckloads of expertise, and put it in action. Do something, drive improvement. Address that frustration and pressure that your team, your organization is feeling opportunities abound to do. So, with that said, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton, challenging you to do good